Luke 4, 14 to 30, which is on page 1031 in the Church Bibles. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet of Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came out of his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do hear in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this, and they got up and drove him out of town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I'm going to um, read out a few mission statements. I want you to tell me, you can speak up if you think you know where they come from. Uh, sorry, I haven't got them on the screen. I didn't have time to get slides today. So here's the first one. To create a better everyday life for the many people. Whose mission statement is that? To create a better everyday life for the many people. Oh, not, not bad guess. Not Holland and Barrett, no. Not the healthy foods people. I'll give you a clue. You've all got stuff in your home from this place. Ikea. Or... Ikea, I think, as it should be said, isn't it? Um, What about this one? To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. You wish you had one of these. Yes, Tesla. Um, I don't think anyone here has. Um, Here's a really interesting one. Bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world, brackets. If you have a body, you are an athlete. Sorry? Under Armour, no. Yeah, not McDonald's. Close? Yeah, Nike. Yeah, Under Armour's close, Nike. Um, what about this one? Bring everyone the inspiration to create a life they love. Ooh, close. Not Instagram. Sorry? Yeah, Pinterest. Very good. Um, giving wings to people and ideas. Red Bull. And to infinity and beyond. We know that one, don't we? That's Buzz Lightyear, that's his. Mission statements, you see, they're they're all over the place, aren't they? And you can find some funny ones. They're a brief summary of what someone or some organization is about and and what they exist for and what they're here to do. And actually, often a mission statement, if it works well, it tells you who they really are and really what what they care about. And, you know, it's a helpful thing to do personally. I don't know if you've done this, but you thought, what's my mission statement for my life? What's my life mission? 
Spend some time thinking on that and, and even writing it down. I've, I've done that exercise, and it's a helpful thing to do. Um, and, and it, you know, what am I about? What am I living for? Because knowing your mission enables you to live how you want to uh, and not get sidetracked by other things or, or not be stopped by opposition or, or, or bumps that, that come in the way. Now, I'm talking about mission statements because after a pretty long, really, introduction in the Gospel of Luke, which we've been in for, for several months, we, we get to this moment. Luke brings us this moment today where we get Jesus's mission statement, who he is and what he is about and what he's come to do. And this is key to us getting Jesus and getting what he's about. And it's really interesting to see both what this is and then actually how people respond to it, isn't it? And I want us to, to dig into that together. So we pick up the story in, in, in uh, Luke uh, chapter 4, verse 14, page 1031. Uh, and what's happened is Luke's jumped forward a little bit. So this isn't actually the very next thing that happened after uh, last week. We, 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 the last couple of weeks, we've seen the baptism, the temptation of Jesus in the desert in the south of Israel. And, uh, and what happens after that is Jesus heads back up north to Galilee, where he comes from. And we read here in the power of the Spirit. Uh, and Matthew tells us that in this time, Jesus moves out of his hometown of Nazareth moves 20 miles away to Capernaum. And he starts from there, this ministry traveling around the region in the north of Israel, around Galilee. And he's preaching and he's teaching and he's healing the sick and he's doing displays of power over the natural world. He's claiming authority over the spiritual world. And Luke tells us that as he does that, he's generally well received. He starts making a name for himself. News about him spreads through the whole countryside and all of the small towns of the north of the country. So Jesus is doing this stuff, and as part of this ministry tour, he comes home to Nazareth, to his hometown. And this is what Luke records for us here, what happens then. Uh, and here's this scene in the midst of this kind of first ministry store, uh, tour of Jesus, um, as he comes to his hometown, and, and it's a perfect summary of who he is and, and what he's about, and then also how people respond to him and what it therefore means for him to achieve his, his mission. So as we, as we dig into this and think about the mission of Jesus, so it's going to help us consider our response to Jesus, but also maybe what our life mission is and how that should be shaped. So, so let's put ourselves in the scene. So, so this son of the small town returns home. He's moved away and he's made a name for himself in the big wide world. He's got a little bit of fame and, and success and popularity. He's become known as a rabbi, a leader or, or, or a teacher. And so as he's coming home, there's some excitement. Do you hear Jesus, son of Joseph's coming back? He's causing a stir. And so um, everyone gathers in, in the synagogue on, on, on the Sabbath day, on a Saturday. And, and he's invited to read the scripture and teach on it because he's become a little bit of a, a minor celebrity in these parts. And, and so what happens is in, in those days as they gather in the synagogue, all, all of the worshippers would stand for the reading of scripture to show their respect and their readiness to receive the word of God. And then the preacher would sit in the middle and everyone would sit around the preacher who, who then delivers uh, the, their teaching. And so in that context, Jesus handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and, and he turns it to Isaiah 61, which Ben read for us. And, and he reads from there, the spirit of the, sov- uh, of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to procal- proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Scrolls rolled up, given back to the attendant. Jesus sits down. It's a moment where the teaching is going to come. The eyes of everyone are fastened on him. Expect him. What's he going to say? What's his teaching going to be? Verse 21. Today, this scripture is fulfilled 
in your hearing. It's kind of like mic, mic drop moment, kind of, that's it. This is my mission statement. This is who I am. This is what I am about. And you think, if only the sermons in this church were as short as that, that would be wonderful, don't you? <laughs> um, it, it might be all that he said. It might have been this really dramatic thing, or probably more likely, I think it's like the summary. This is what Jesus taught. This is the, the summary of what he said that day. But either way, it's an incredible claim and an incredible message. And even more so, if we grasp hold of what is held in, 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 in these words of Isaiah 61, in this promise that Jesus says he fulfills this thing. So we need to do a bit of the background work on what, what Ben read. And it's this poem that came from the prophet Isaiah 700 years earlier. And this, this, what Jesus does, he actually kind of mixes together, like a mixtape, two poems. This one in Isaiah 61 and, and some from Isaiah 58. Uh, but these poems hold out the promise that someone will be set aside by God and they're going to come and they're going to bring God's favor to God's people. And this promise, back when Isaiah gave it, was given at a time it was like a bit, a little bit iffy for God's people. It was a bit of a mixed bag of, of stuff going on. There was some good stuff going on, and that they, they were back in their homeland, having been taken out for 70 years and forced to live in, in a foreign country under foreign rulers. So that was good that they're back and kind of finding their feet again. But the bad stuff is that the good days for them are long, uh, long gone in the past. They seem to have forgotten their mission as the people of God in the world, and they're living in all sorts of compromise, and there's just all sorts of things going on that are not good and healthy. And so in many ways, God's people at that time are spiritually poor, are spiritually imprisoned, are spiritually blind, and are not free. And so Isaiah, God's spokesman, publishes poem after poem, reassuring the people, listen, God hasn't abandoned you. He's not done with you yet. He's going to do a new work. There's a new thing coming from God. And particularly, there's a new one, a new person who will be sent by God with his spirit. And he's going to proclaim good news to the poor. He's going to uh, proclaim good news to those who are spiritually imprisoned. He's going to bring people freedom and recovery. And he's going to bring a new work of God. Now, Isaiah did this through a whole series of poems. Isaiah 61 is just one of them. And if you look at some of the others, they explain that this one is going to come. He's going to be a king from God, a great ruler. He will restore and renew God's kingdom. But he will also be a servant who will die for the people who will sacrifice himself. And so Jesus opens up this roll, 700 years, uh, this scroll, 700 years later, in this small and sleepy kind of backwater town of Nazareth, and he, and he speaks these words from his own mouth and puts them in his own mouth. And he says, today, I'm here to fulfill this. I am this one, that man who comes with good news, with freedom, with life, with recovery. I'm the one who brings the year of God's favor. This is my mission. This is who I am and what I'm about. And what does, that, what does that mean? What does, what does that look like in practice? Well, you see, Jesus isn't, at first sight, what you might expect to see for God's great king. It's, it's, imagine, um, you go with me, if, like, if you meet Clark Kent, and you think, he's not really that strong, is he? He's not, I don't see any extra, I could have him. I, I, I fancy my chances against Clark Kent. And of course, you're not seeing the Superman behind the Clark Kent. You're not seeing that on the surface, Jesus would look like any other lad from Nazareth, like James and Tobias and Joseph, but actually there's far more going on with him than first meets the eye. And when people see or experience the real Jesus and, and see beneath the surface, they're amazed. We, we read here, Luke tells us in verse 14, he's the one who comes in the power of the Spirit of God. Verse 18, the one who the Spirit of the Lord is on, who is anointed. That means he's set apart by God for this task. The one who is sent by God to do this. 
Luke showed us, hasn't he? We've just seen it time and time again already, how the life and ministry of Jesus and his very nature is accompanied by, is saturated in, is led by the Spirit of God. In his temptations, in his baptism, even his conception, and even as an unborn child, he brought the presence of the Spirit of God. Jesus is the one. When you first look at him, you might not see it, but he's the one who is set aside, whose whole life is lived by the power and the presence of the Spirit of God. That's who he is. He has the credentials to deliver on the promises of God. And he's the one alone who can do what is promised in Isaiah. And what Luke, this is his mission statement at the start. What Luke goes on to show as we work through the story, we're going to see that Jesus is going to go and live this stuff out. His actions and his words are going to put this into practice in his life, this mission. And it's going to go all the way through his life to the point of giving his life on the cross and rising again to deliver on it. You see, Jesus came to proclaim good news. He also came to deliver and act on good news and deliver it in practice. His life and his ministry was a constant pursuit of setting people free by the things he taught them and setting people free by the things that he did for them. And so Jesus goes and he heals physically blind people and he sets people free from all kinds of opposition and affliction, illnesses and demons and grief and social isolation and religious uh, relational conflict. And he does all of that. But fundamentally, and at its heart, this poem and, and the life of Jesus and his mission is not primarily about the physical hardships of life. It's not primarily about financial poverty and, and those who are actually in physical prisons and people whose eyes don't work as if all we needed was this really great and amazing social worker to help with all of the material problems of our lives. That's not what he's about. No, this is imagery. It's rich imagery of poverty and oppression that paints a spiritual picture for us of the state of our lives. It's a poem about those who are poor in spirit, who realize that they have little resources in themselves that they can rely on to get life right or to make themselves good with God. They need some help from outside, from someone who has some more resources. This is for those who experience the oppression or the imprisonment of something that we can't escape and something that holds its power over us, whether it's negative emotions that just seem to take control of our lives, or patterns of behavior that we can't break our way out of, or addictions, or, or, or strife and difficulty in our relationships, or depression and anxiety which just stubbornly sticks around. This is for those who experience blindness deep in our souls, where we can't make sense of the world, can't make sense of life in it. We we, can't, we don't feel we can get a, a, grasp, a, a good grasp on what is true and, and what is right. And, and our doubts shout louder than our faith. And our questions are bigger and scarier than our answers. This describes the people of Isaiah's day. It describes the people of Jesus' day. And it describes us in our day. In so many ways, doesn't it? Life can be like this. Life can be this difficult. So it's not primarily about physical and kind of material stuff, but it's not disconnected from it. Don't you think those who experience poverty, who have a daily fight, living on the edge of survival, feel like society isn't for them, for who this cost of living crisis could be deadly? Do you not think they often experience the poverty of spirit as well and also? 
Do you not think those oppressed in any number of ways who are held against their will, whether they've been trafficked or they're in an illegal employment status or they're working in a sex industry or they, they've been groomed into gang life as a young boy, do you not think that them experiencing that kind of oppression in life would also have an emotional and a spiritual oppression that they experience along with that as well as the physical reality of life? Listen, this is Luke's great concern in, throughout his gospel, actually, and, and, and it's, it comes, comes to the surface here. He wants us to know that The story of Jesus' life is good news. Jesus' mission is good news for all people and all types of people. And Luke particularly emphasizes those on the outsides, those at the bottom, those excluded, those who are weakest and poorest, those who are most likely to count themselves out and say, this can't be for me. Luke wants to show us over and over again, yes, this is for you. Yes, this is for us. If you feel poor in spirit, if you feel this morning like you're oppressed or in certain areas of life like you're not free, maybe you feel like you can't see clearly and you just feel confused and overwhelmed and besieged by doubt, then this is good news for you today. Jesus is good news for you. For all the ways we can be blinded and bound and imprisoned by Satan, Jesus has come, sent by God, full of the Spirit of the Lord to proclaim good news for people like us, to bring good news to us and to set us free, to bring us out of spiritual poverty, to set us free from whatever may imprison or oppress us, and to bring renewed sight in his truth, so we walk out of the fog and into the light of his day, and we see clearly. Jesus is one who comes to do something about the situation that we find ourselves in. He comes, he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. This is this ancient idea. It picks up on this this old year of jubilee that was to be celebrated by God's people where debts were wiped off and people were restored from poverty and dependence. And and there's a a year of great freedom and jubilation uh, and life. And Jesus says that day and that time and that season is here, uh, right here and right now. I'm bringing that in. Today is the day of spiritual freedom. Today is the day of liberation and of life. This is the day that I have come to bring for people. This is what I offer to you. Listen, this is so much more than some kind of social worker just drawn alongside us in our suffering and brokenness as, as valuable. as I do, Social workers are very valuable and important. I do, I do, I'm not hating on them. But Jesus is so much more. He's a saviour who comes to restore and renew us. And it is good news for troubled people in the world like you and me. Every day since Jesus spoke these words, since Jesus came, has been a day of God's favor. It's been a day of his kingdom being present. It's been a day of salvation and of rescue. It's been a day of restoration before God. Every day since, and today is one of those days. One day God will come in judgment, but today is the day of salvation. This is who Jesus is. This is what he comes to do. If you feel poverty, if you feel brokenness in your soul, this really is great news. Sounds amazing. You think, like, who wouldn't want a piece of that, right? Who wouldn't want a piece of that? But I wonder, I want to think in the second half, how you're responding to Jesus this morning. How do we respond to this? Because it's really interesting, isn't it, given that's what Jesus is saying, what's offering. 
it's really interesting how people respond here. And through it, we learn about our own response to Jesus. So at first, in verse 22, they're amazed at his gracious words. All spoke well of him. Everyone is praising him wherever he goes. So that's verse 22. But in no time at all, they they go from full-out admiration to full-throttle anger. Verse 28, they're absolutely raging. They're furious, and they're ready to kill him off. That escalated very quickly, didn't it? Like, how, How do you go from there to here in like no time at all? What is it that led to such a change? Why are the people so annoyed? His own people, his own town. If if this is such good news, then why isn't everyone jumping at a chance to get this? Well, what happens between those two verses, verse 23 to 27, is there's this conversation off the back of of Jesus' sermon. And really, it just exposes, I think, where the people are at. Now, it does seem a bit random to us, but clearly it's a big deal for them. The question is this, Jesus, are you too big for your boots? Jesus, have you got ideas above your station, this stuff that you're saying, you're claiming? You're Joseph's boy. What makes you so special? They exchange these kind of little sayings, these little proverbs. They want him to prove himself to them, back up his claims with some evidence. Physician, heal yourself. Do the things here that you've done in Capernaum. Let us see the stuff. Are you all talk and no action, Jesus? And Jesus knows this response of theirs comes from hard hearts. He knows it comes from people who reject who he claims to be and, uh, and reject what he offers, uh, comes to offer them. Uh, and he knows that people have always done that to God's representatives and to God's prophets. He says, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And he gives two little stories to, to prove the point, two little reminders from their history of these two prophets who found ministering at home a tough gig and so were sent by God to people on the outside. Elijah, who in the midst of a great famine was sent to uh, a non-Jewish pagan woman in Sidon uh, to to bring relief to her. Elisha, who healed leprosy, but he didn't heal any of the lepers amongst God's people in in Israel, but he actually went and healed someone from a commander of the army of the enemies of God's people who had overtaken them and trafficked people away and taken people as slaves. The point is this, people who should have heard and should have listened didn't. They rejected God and his messenger and his, his, the one sent by him. And so God sent his servants to the outsiders. And Jesus said, and that's therefore what I'm going to do. I'm going to the outsiders. And that makes his hometown absolutely furious. Why? Because it doesn't suit what they want. It's threatening their very sense of their identity as the special ones of God, their their thoughts on how God should be working in their lives and what God should be doing. This idea that Jesus is good news not only for Nazareth, not even just for Galilee, not even limited to Israel, but the whole world and all people. Well, they they just don't like that because what what they've done is they've shrunk God's uh, purposes right down. You know, they, they, they didn't really get that God's purpose was always that it, would be a, it wouldn't stop with blessing with one people group or one type of person, but, but that it would spread to all the peoples and nations of the earth. But they've shrunk it down just to them and their concerns and their well-being and their status. They've become very parochial in their understanding of these things. And so they love the idea that God comes and Jesus comes to bring favor and became good news to the poor and freedom for prisoners and the oppressed. But they can't handle that that might be for other people people different to me or have different struggles or, or from different places, that they're going to benefit from this. Drives them crazy. And so the crowd just loses it, blows, blows their top, and, and they drive the son of their own town up the hill to the cliff, and they're ready to throw him off. Get rid of him. But his time had not yet come. 
So, I mean, he did not explain how, but by some miracle, he just walks through the crowd and he goes on his way. And as far as we know, he never returns to Nazareth again. When you think of a mission statement, a question to ask is how far are you going to go to achieve it? How much do you, does this business or, or this person really believe in it and are they really going to live it out? What, what opposition might they overcome to pursue this? What might derail it or, or, or cause them to replace it with, with something else along the way? This kind of opposition that Jesus faced, this kind of rejection continued through his life and his ministry. In fact, this was just the start. It escalated steadily and got worse and worse. And rather than it sidetracking Jesus from his mission or, or overwhelming him so he didn't achieve it, he used it as the very means by which he would achieve his mission. You see, it wasn't time for Jesus to die on, on that hill that day at the hands of an angry mob. He was kept safe because he had some teaching and some acts of power to do. But less than three years later, it would be the right time for him to die on the hill of Calvary at the hands of another angry mob. Another group of people who came together and rejected him as God's king. Another group of people who hated him, who didn't like his teaching, who didn't like the claims he made, who didn't like the way that he lived. And that day, Jesus would let those angry people take hold of him. He would let them shout, crucify him. He would let them wash their hands of him. He would let them beat him and mock him. And he would let them hang hang him out on a cross to die. Jesus would deliberately go to death and back to fulfill his life mission. He would even use the opposition of people against him to deliver on his promise to us that he has good news for us. He has good news for us in our spiritual poverty. He wants to set us free and give us life. He wants to bring us into God's favor forevermore. This is who Jesus is. This is what he does. And this is the good news. So again, how do you respond to Jesus this morning. Well, some of us don't yet realize our need of him. We hear it's for the poor, for the broken, for the captives, for the blind, the bruised, that he comes, and we don't see ourselves as that, so we say, no thanks. Certainly lots of people around us, that would be their response. And maybe for you today, it's the first time that the Spirit of God is showing you your need of him and your need of being saved by him. And if so, what you can do right now in the quietness of your heart is you can ask him to do what he promises here for you. Jesus, would you give me your freedom and your new life in God's favor through your cross and your resurrection? Ask him that he'd make this real for you. If that is you, then it would just be great to talk to someone about that today. Share it with someone so they can encourage you along the way in that. Perhaps perhaps many of us are more familiar with Christ and we're even close to him. But now there's ways in which we're not so amazed by him. Maybe we're indifferent. Some of us even angry with him. We like the sound of Jesus at first. We like what he offers, what he claims to give us, but then he didn't do things in the way we would like. And so we decide we don't quite like him so much after all. Maybe we don't like his teaching on certain things or that he isn't quite with the flow of our times and that feels a bit awkward. Or maybe that we don't don't like the fact that he calls us to take up our cross and, and follow him. Or maybe it's as forgiving and as loving as he is that he asks us to leave our life of sin behind, to stop living and acting in certain ways and to live 
according to his ways and for his purposes. So we go at some point in, in time from being amazed at Jesus, speaking well of him and praising him, to speaking ill of him or, or not speaking of him at all or, or being angry and annoyed with him or accusing him or not listening to him or believing his words to withdrawing from him and his people. Now, in different ways, I think, as Christians, we can all be like that in different parts of our lives. And if that's the case, we're to see his life mission, we're to see his purpose, we're to see that it is good, we're to see how kind and compassionate he is, how powerful and great that he has good news for us, he has freedom and, <coughs> and life and favour. And in him, we have that in abundance. We have God's favour and grace. Listen, it doesn't answer every question I know. It doesn't remove even one of the hardships that you may be walking through, but it gives a hope and a perspective that can hold you fast. And finally, how are we to respond? What about our own life mission? What about what we live for, what we fill our lives with, what we most care about? I take it that our personal life missions, that our our church mission, it wouldn't be a bad idea for it to be shaped and informed by the mission and purpose of Jesus, right? To have as our significant concern and practice both the sharing and the declaring of the good news of Jesus and also the putting into practice of how we live it in our lives and, and the good deeds that, that flow from that and the blessing that brings to others. To be a people and a place of both word and deed that brings life and freedom to those around us as we speak of Jesus and, and we speak of, of the goodness of him and then we also live lives that are filled with his goodness and his power. Letting this type of mission shape us, shape our lives, and shape our church. Let's, let's pray together as we reflect, and then we're going we're gonna to sing. Lord God, we thank you for this good news that was written by Isaiah almost 3,000 years ago, that Jesus came and, and filled up and delivered on, and that it's still good news, therefore, today for us. Thank you, Lord, that in our in our poverty, in our brokenness, in our pain, in our oppression, our blindness. Jesus is light and life. He is grace and compassion. He is truth and favor. Thank you for this truth. Would, would we experience and know it today? Would we, would we talk about it to one another this week as we, we talk in gospel families and cell groups? Would we talk about it even, even today as, as we spend time together? And would it, be, would it be news and words of life and freedom as we look to Jesus again and see all that we have in him? Lord, I pray that any who don't have this would come this morning and even in, in their hearts before you to receive it and so to re- receive life to the full forevermore. Amen.